0: All right, first Chronicles chapter 28. As we continue our study through first Chronicles together and Lord willing tonight finish up the book of First Chronicles, the last number of chapters, we have been watching King David sort of organize his kingdom. He's been setting in order some organizational structure of the Levites, the priests, the officials, the military, uh, getting things ready because David recognizes at this point in time that his life is soon about to come to an end, and he's really preparing for succession to transition the kingdom over to his son Solomon. He knows that God has, among all his sons, chosen Solomon specifically. Though Solomon is young at this time, he's probably maybe only somewhere, uh, again, you know, kind of late teenage years, so big shoes to step in and fill for King David, but yet it was Solomon who God chose by his sovereign grace to be the one to be David's successor to step into his role as the next king of Israel, to actually then take David's desire, and of course, as we've been looking at, to be the one to actually construct and build the temple of God. That was something that it seems God put on David's heart to do, and David, as we've been seeing, made lots of preparations for that. We'll see more of that this evening. And in our last time together, as we came to chapter 28 and looked at the first uh, eight or so verses together, David had assembled all the leaders together. Again, he wants to sort of reaffirm one more time some things regarding Solomon's future reign. Now, he gathered together the leadership, the captains and the stewards and all those together, and he began to speak to them, giving them some exhortation for their own lives, encouraging them. Uh, what God wanted for them—that in the sight of all Israel, that they should listen to God, that they should take to take heed to God's word, so that they might be able to present to the next generation a uh, a nation that would, in some ways, be a good inheritance for their children after them. And now it's at this point in verse nine that again, as they're assembled publicly, and remember, this is a public assembly, that David now in verse nine turns to his son Solomon. Who is going to be his successor. He's about to transition the kingdom over to Solomon very soon. And he now gives really a public charge to Solomon as not only the next king of Israel, but even more than that, in this very tender, passionate way, he gives this fatherly charge to his son. And I think this is a great uh, set of verses here, verse 9 and 10 at a men's retreat before I particularly focused on these two verses and taught a a whole message just on this particular charge that David, King David, this man after God's own heart as we know him, this charge that he gave to his son, because I think it's a great exhortation of an older man of God to a younger man of God, passing on good sound advice in just two verses here. I think it's a great charge, a great prayer and desire for any parent, for that matter, to want to have for their son or for their daughter. Again, just look, this is what matters. I'm about to pass off the scene. This is what matters most. And again, when somebody's about to die, of course, we know there. someone's dying words usually carry a lot of substance, a lot of value. When you get to that place where you sense your own mortality and you know that you're about to pass away, I'm sure maybe you've been with loved ones in that point in time, Uh, I've been with plenty of people in pastoral ministry and personally during those occasions, And, and conversation carries a lot of substance at that point. You really stop talking about trivial things and you really just say very meaningful, important things that really matter. And again, keep in mind, that's where David's at at this point. So he now gives this charge to Solomon here in verse 9. Again, and as the people are listening, he says, verse 9, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, he says, and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. now. Again, as I said, certainly I could spend an entire teaching on just those particular verses, and I encourage you, those are two great verses to kind of just take and chew on and meditate upon what really mattered to David, a great way maybe again to pray for our children, a great exhortation and words of instruction to pass on to our own children, or maybe to a younger person as an older person with more wisdom who's kind of lived out some life existence and walked with God. Uh, But take note, if you would, just Couple of the brief things that we can see here. What really mattered to David regarding Solomon? Was it that he would be a great military strategist? Was it that he would institute the greatest economy? that the nation of Israel had ever seen. uh, It was none of those things. He turns to Solomon, he says, Solomon, certainly you're going to be king. And so therefore, you're going to have administrative duties. You're going to have to rule the nation, make lots of important decisions and a lot of responsibility. But Solomon, this is the foundation that matters most if you're to actually succeed and prosper and, and do a halfway decent job and you notice what it boiled down to in David's heart he says there in verse 9 as for you my son Solomon this is what matters the first thing he says to me he says is that you'd know the God of your father in other words, Solomon this is what matters to me get to know God get to know God Solomon, you've seen your father walk with God. You've seen the way that I know God, how I've lived with God and had a relationship with God. So he's saying, my concern for you above all else, son, is that you would just know God and that you get to know God. And again, when he says here, know the God of your father, he's not talking about know the God of your father, that is intellectually, but to know God personally and relationally. And there is a difference uh, again, especially when you're a parent who's raising, you know, children and you know God and you're walking with God, uh, it's almost somewhat of an easier thing for your children, if they're growing up in that, under that kind of, you know, atmosphere, uh, to kind of get to know who God is intellectually. Because they hear you talk about God. They hear things about God. Probably if you're bringing them to the house of God, they're hearing things taught about God. They're seeing things themselves. The so to get to know God intellectually is it's kind of almost a given. It just kind of happens. It's kind of hard to grow up with a father, a mother, or a father and mother that know God to not kind of know some things about God. Where maybe somebody who's not in that situation, they, they may not. But that's not what David's talking about. He's not talking about, I want you to get to know things about God. He says, I want you to know God. I want you to know God yourself. Uh, Again, you can be a great history buff and know a lot of things about Abraham Lincoln, right? About George Washington, about, uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt. But it doesn't mean you know them personally in a relational way. You know things about them. Well, same is true with God. You can know a lot about God, but there's a vast difference between that and actually knowing God yourself in a personal and a relational way. And that was something that was very clear in David's life. David, who was this man after God's own heart. For David, it wasn't just intellectual. It wasn't just theological. It was personal. It was relational. David loved God. He knew God. He walked with God and worshiped God. And so he says, Solomon, I want you to know God like I knew God. I want you to know him for yourself and experience him for yourself. And what great advice for any parent to give to their child and what really what great desire, I think, above all else, any God-fearing, God-loving parent wants for the child, just that their child would just know God, that you just know God for yourself. So he says, know the God of your father, and then he says, and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. So again, take notice of the order. You get to know God first, and then you serve God second. Because you're not going to faithfully serve God and willingly serve God if you don't genuinely know him in a personal way. You're going to begrudgingly, oh, okay, I'll serve, God. whatever, I'll, you know, I'll go and help out at the church or do this or do that or I'll go you know, do some you know, nice things and you know, outreach in some urban community and I'll go serve God and help people. And, but you're not really serving God. You're begrudgingly, again, because you can serve somebody without loving them right I mean majority of people do that 40 50 hours a week right you you serve it's not out of love you just it's out of the fact you got to pay your mortgage you got to pay your electric bill you need food and so, so you serve and, and people can serve God without really knowing or even loving God to some degree so he says know God first get to know God because it's out of knowing God that you'll want to serve God It'll be of a heart of love and willingness and desire. So he says, I want you to know God. And he says, and then serve God. That is live for him. Actually serve him. Use your life to serve God and serve his purposes. Live your life for him. And how are we to do that? He says, Solomon, do it. He says, really with faithful devotion and conscious decisions. With faithful devotion, he says, serve him with a loyal heart. The idea is wholeheartedly. Somebody who's loyal is devoted, they're dedicated, they're committed. That's the idea of loyal. That, that they're wholeheartedly committed. So he says, Solomon, serve God with a faithfulness, with a wholeheartedness, not half-hearted, not apathetic, not one day you serve him, but then the next day you're just self-serving. Not one day you're living for Jesus, and then the next day you're just dishonoring the Lord and doing all these things you know you shouldn't be doing because you just feel like being sinful and selfish. The next day you're just kind of living a, a life of duplicity. He says, no, with a loyal heart, be all in, you're committed. You're, you're fully, you want to serve God with a loyal heart. Your heart is loyally committed to him. You're keeping your heart loyal to him before anyone else. And he says also with a willing mind. And I like that. He talks about with the heart and the mind because the heart speaks of the desire. The mind speaks of the decision, choice, the will, with a willing mind. So we're also to serve God with conscious decisions. Again, w- w- willing mind speaks of a voluntary choice. So again, if I'm going to know God and serve God, there is a choice to it. There is that conscious decision that every day, you know, I don't know about you, I don't wake up automatically spiritual and I wake up probably feeling a little more demon possessed sometimes than I do anything else. I know I'm not theologically, but there's a conscious decision. That every day, you know, I, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm talking to young men and just kind of like, you know, you know, getting to a certain stage in their life, and I talk, the, the only thing, <laughs> the only thing I can tell you I remember over the years of my life is, is, is this, is every morning I get up, I make a cup of coffee, I get my Bible, and I sit down, and I spend time with Jesus. And then I struggle through a whole day, and then I go to sleep, and the next morning I get up, I get a cup of coffee, and I sit down with my Bible, and I talk to Jesus, and I read the Word of God, and the pattern has just repeated itself for many, many, many decades. And again, but there's a willing decision in that. There's a conscious choice. It's a willing choice. God, I'm, I'm going to serve you. It's, just, it's what I'm going to do. It doesn't just happen automatically. It's not just like an automatic thing. You can't just put life on autopilot spiritually. Just t- it won't work. Just autopilot for me is walking in the flesh. It's a conscious decision. It's a discipline. It's a habit. It's a, a willingness to say, just like in a marriage relationship, I'm going to honor this covenant. I'm going to honor this commitment. Better, worse. Sickness and in health. Rich or poor. That's conscious decision stuff there. You honor the covenant in the same way with God. It's relational, but you have to make conscious decisions. So he says, Solomon, you may not always feel like it, but with a loyal heart and a willing mind. And he says, remember, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands the intents of the thoughts. So he says, Solomon, be aware. God knows everything that's going on inside of you. You can't play games with God. God knows. He says he searches hearts. He sees what's going on inside of your heart. He knows the intents even of of why you're doing something, your intention behind it. He's aware of my motives. He's aware of the reason why I do something or don't do something. Again, it's not just the behavior itself. God sees what's going on behind the behavior. The thoughts happening inside of us and so again so important to realize God is fully acquainted with all of our ways Psalm 139 says so again good to live in that awareness good for a person to come to a conscious awareness that God is fully aware of everything that's going on inside of me now I assure you tonight every single person in your life even those closest to you they don't know every single thing that's going on inside of you they don't know what's going on inside your mind they don't know what's going on inside of your heart and what's happening, your desires, your struggle. But God does. Why would you not want to serve someone that knows you that well? They can help you better than anybody. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God, you, you even understand the intention why I want to do that. Even the thing I don't want to do, God, you know what... I, I, right, really, because I understand you. I see what's going on inside of you. So again, just encouraging Solomon to, to be aware of these things. And then he gives him this encouragement and instruction, verse 9. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. The idea there is God will be faithful to respond to you, Solomon, according to your desire towards him. If you seek him, he'll never turn you away. If you seek him, he'll be, you'll be, he'll be found by you. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. God is a God of revelation, and if you seek God, you will find that God will reveal himself to you. Unlike people, God's never going to say, I'm busy, I'm occupied, you know what? I mean, you know, after five years, I'm kind of done with this relationship. I just That, right? that, that happens with human beings. You're never going to pursue God, and he's going to turn off your pursuit. He's never going to put away your pursuit. He's never going to say, look, I mean, this relationship's going a little too far now. you're you're, you're getting a little too needy towards me. God's never going to do that. God will constantly continue to reveal more of himself. If you seek God, there is an inexhaustible awareness and revelation that continues to be available if we seek him. He's going to be found by us. Jesus said, ask and you shall you know, receive, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. And I think sometimes that's in regards to just God revealing more of himself even to us. And he says, but be aware, Solomon, it works both ways. He says, because if you reject God, then he'll honor your choice of rejection. If you forsake him, then he won't force you. He will allow you, if you want to forsake him, he'll give you the freedom to utilize your will and he will retract from you and honor your choice if rejection is what you prefer. So he says, verse 10, consider now for the Lord's chosen you to build a house, to build the temple for the sanctuary. So he says, be strong and do it again. He exhorts him regarding the calling of God upon his life to build the temple of the Lord. And and again, they're encouraging him just to be strong and to do it, to act, to carry it out. Interesting as he tells him to build... A house for the sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place of worship, a place where God's presence is honored and worshipped as he dwells in the midst of the sanctuary. And even as God, uh, here David tells Solomon to do this for our own lives. You know, the Bible tells us that even as Solomon has been chosen for this particular thing, he says the Lord has chosen you, you know, Jesus tells us in a New Testament perspective that we've been chosen as well. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Ephesians 1 says we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And in the same way Solomon was to build a physical temple, you and I have been chosen to build and to contribute to a spiritual temple. The Bible tells us, again, that the church collectively is the temple of the Lord where his spirit is manifested, the sanctuary of God, if you would. 1 Corinthians 3 says, you are God's building. It's not about a physical building. anymore. We're now God's building individually, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Collectively, we are God's building. And Jude tells us that just like Solomon was to build the temple physically, Jude says we are to be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. That is, there are things that just like Solomon had to do that required effort and action. He says, be strong and do it. You got to act. You got to carry through efforts. Again, the same is true. Human activity is involved in building up our own spiritual lives. You got to read your Bible. You got to pray. You got to go to church. You got to spend time with the Lord. You got to you got to do some things. You actually, you can't just sit there and think that spiritual maturity will come or spiritual fruitfulness will happen. You have to actually exert some strength, some energy, and and actually do things to build yourself up spiritually even as Solomon wasn't going to have the temple just construct itself he needed to actually carry out the plans of building it in the construction process so verse 11 down now through verse 19 we'll see David speaks about the plans of the temple itself it says verse 11 then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule its houses, its treasuries upper chambers, its inner chambers the place of the mercy seat Verse 12 says, and the plans for all that he had, take notice, the plans all David had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, the chambers all around, the treasuries of the house of the Lord and treasuries of the dedicated things. Verse 13 speaks of the division of the priests and Levites for all the service in the house of the Lord and all the articles for the house of the Lord. Verse 14 says, he gave the gold by weight For the things of gold, for the articles used in every kind of service, and also the silver for the articles of silver by weight. That is, again, even the measures of weight, the amount of weight of gold that was needed for each article built, the golden lampstand and the different furnishings, each thing that was to be built of silver, the exact measure and amount of silver to be used, all the plans and details for the tables of showbread, for the silver tables, uh, the pure gold for the forks verse 17 mentions the pictures all these different things verse 19 david says look all this said david the lord has made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans so take notice god apparently as david describes this gave to david vision by the spirit by the hand of the lord upon him god gave david vision And by the Spirit gave to David actual plans and details, we might say the blueprints, right, for exactly how the temple was to be built and constructed. And every single furnishing and piece That was to be a part of the whole temple worship system from the forks to the table of showbread to the mercy seat to the golden altar to all the furnishings. God gave him all the blueprints with the details and the measurements and the weights and all those kind of things how to accomplish his work. And David says, these things were given to me, verse 19, and I understood them and wrote them down by the hand of God upon me, all these plans and details. So, I mean, talk about David doing everything he can to make Solomon be successful. I mean, David here does, he he gives Solomon even all the blueprints and the drawings and everything that he needs. And David says, but all of that, it's not for me. He said, God gave it to me because this is something God wants to do. Again, so he says, I wrote it down by the Spirit giving me these details. Habakkuk tells us in chapter 2, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that he who reads it can run with it. And this is kind of what David does here. He receives vision from the Lord with details and the plans of how to build the temple, and he actually writes it all down as the Spirit gives him revelation, each detail, each idea, the measurements, the drawings, and he gives this to Solomon so Solomon can read it and then just carry it out. He just takes the vision from God and he just carries it out the fruition. And to me, this is a beautiful thing to see because it reminds me that the Spirit of God, folks, gives to us revelation. This is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. He gives revelation. David received these things by the hand of God upon him as the Spirit revealed things. And think of it. The Spirit of God is revealing things regarding God's work and what God wants to do in David's life and God's plan. And a lot of it's really practical stuff. How much gold to use. How big to make this particular furnishing. Blueprints and details. You know, I I firmly believe God hasn't changed. Sometimes God may give somebody a supernatural business plan, a a supernatural revelation of this is what I want to do, some work I want to do or some plan, and God gives the vision. He says, look, write it down so people can understand it and they can carry out the vision. What a wonderful thing. You need direction. You need guidance. God can give very detailed revelation for what he might want to help you with or have you do. Seek God for details. Seek God for direction. Maybe you need a financial plan. Maybe you need to seek God. Maybe the spirit of God can give you a much better financial plan than a financial planner could. Now, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that. All the financial planners will probably hate me. But God can give plans. And the wisdom of his spirit can reveal those things to us. And so David gives this blueprint to Solomon. And then again, another exhortation, verse 20. And he said to his son, Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. So he says, Solomon, you need to act upon it. The plans aren't going to just fulfill themselves. You've got to read them and run with them now and carry out those plans. And he says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, because God's with you. He won't leave you, forsake you. He's going to stand by you and support you until you've finished all the work. Always good to finish when you start God's work. For the service of the house of the Lord. Here are the divisions, the priests and the Levites and all the service of the house of God and every willing craftsman, will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders, he says, and all the people will be completely at your command, that is at your disposal, to help you and to support you. So take notice here, as he gives Solomon this final public exhortation regarding acting out and fulfilling the the building of the temple with the blueprints and David all gave to him, (laughs) He says, David, he says, Solomon, look, this is how you can know that God's involved. Because first of all, he says, God's going to be the one with you and he'll support you. Your biggest support, he says, will be the presence of God with you. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you. He'll stay with you in the process by his presence. He'll be on the job with you. He'll help you carry it out until you finish it. And he says more than that, he says, God will raise up the people around you to support you. And they'll serve with you. They'll be at your disposal to follow you as the person who is leading. And look, whenever God is involved behind something, those are two things that are always going to be a confirming evidence. When God is in something, God's presence and God's clear involvement will be evident. It will be evident the presence of God is involved in what's going on. And this is what David is telling Solomon. He says, Solomon, it will succeed because he says God is personally involved in this. And secondly, he says, another way Solomon, we know this is the work of God, is he says God's going to raise up people to support and serve together with you. And you know, when God directs something to happen and God's in something, if God's leading a person to do something, part of leadership means other people follow. That is, people come around and they follow what the person leading is doing and they come around them, and he says these individuals, they'll be at your disposal to help you. Furthermore, it says, chapter 29, King David said to all the assembly gathered, my son Solomon, who alone, notice, God has chosen. He says, I didn't choose my son. This wasn't nepotism, David's saying. He says, God has chosen him. He's young and inexperienced. David openly admitted that. Again, just potentially in his late teens at this point doesn't have much knowledge, doesn't have much life experience or building experience, and he says, and the work is great, I confess, he says, because the temple is not for man but for God. Again, take notice, the reason why the work was great and why the temple was to be great, David says there in verse 1, is because that temple ultimately was not for mankind foremost, it was for God. And I think that's a great reminder because look, the things of God, the church, the, the house of God it's not for most folks for man. It's for God. We exist as the church, as the body of Christ, for God. We exist for God, to worship God, to know God, to serve God, to experience God. You, know, We seem to, in our modern generation, have kind of to like inverted that way the other way. And now we think the local church basically exists for man first, and like it, it's like God's the motto. So we say stuff like, you know, I'm shopping for a church. Shopping for a church? Is this consumerism, or is this about worshiping God? Right, and we just, like, we say this kind of stuff. Because our kind of thinking now is like, it's about us, It's it's for man. If it's great, then... <laughs> It better do something for me. It better have lots of stuff for me rather than say, it's for God. I go to the church because church is for God. It's about worshiping God and loving God and serving God. And how can I serve God and offer to God and do something for God? And David says, this is why the temple was to be great because it's not for man. It was for God. And David had this understanding as the Spirit was leading him to do this, and certainly a reflection of really what the temple and house of the Lord ought to be today in God's heart. He says, this is why it's great. He says, verse 2, and look, this is why David's heart was so inclined towards it. Now, therefore, for the house of my God, he says, I've prepared with all my might. And that was an understatement for what David did, he says. With gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, David says, and marble slabs in abundance. So David didn't just give the blueprints. I mean, David was the, just the, the primary supplier behind all the materials that were needed. And again, valuable things, silver, gold. He says, wood and iron and precious stones and marble slabs. Verse three, moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God. Again, because his heart was on the house of God, I have given. To the house of my God over and above, he says, all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir. That's about a 110 tons worth of gold, 7000 talents, twice as much of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for things of gold, silver for things of silver, for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsmen so David says because my heart is in this and because my heart is inclined towards God and my affection, he says, verse 3, is set on the house of my God, because it's not a house for, for men, he says, it's something for God. He says, therefore, beyond all that I've accumulated in the spoils of wars, David went out and fought battles and he brought back the gold and silver and laid it up in the treasuries to one day build this glorious temple and house to honor God. David says, beyond that, he's speaking of verse 3, here. he says, of my own treasure, That is, he's saying, of my own possessions. He's talking about his own personal giving here. Now, David apparently must have been an incredibly wealthy man. When you look at what he describes just in those few verses there of the gold, the silver, the amounts, you can check modern values of things that you're not just talking about the millions, you're talking about in the billions, David dedicated of his own treasure house to the house of God, giving to the work of the Lord because his heart was attached to it. Again, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, you know there your heart will be also. And this is why David's heart was so connected to the house of God because he had a lot of investment into it. He wanted to give towards it. He wanted to do it as an act of worship. And he says, of my own treasure, I I gave in this way to God's work. He says, verse 5, in light of that, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? So David says, who's willing to follow my example? To consecrate is to dedicate or to commit oneself. So he says, who's willing to dedicate themselves this day to the Lord? Great question to put out there. Who's willing to dedicate themselves? to God, to God's work, to God's house. Then, verse 6, as the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, captains of thousands and hundreds, the officers over the king's work, notice this repetitive word, offered willingly, circle that or underline it. They gave for the work of the house of God. This is all the leaders now, following David's example. 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of brawn, 100,000 talents of iron, and whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. And then, verse 9, the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, there it is again, because with a loyal heart they had offered, again, willingly to the house of the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Notice, when the people gave under spirit-led direction unto the Lord of their finances, of their resources, to the house of God, to the work of the Lord, to his ministry, that which pertained to the worship of God's people, notice it says they offered willingly. It wasn't David standing up and saying, now listen, this is what the need is. And, and, and here's the dollar amount and the financial figure and by this date we're trying to come up with this amount of money and so on and so There was none of that. There was no pressure trip on the people. There was no even really mention of the specified need that actually existed. All David said was, look, this is what we're doing and I want to be involved in what God's doing and, and I wouldn't ask you to do something I'm not doing myself. And then he just says, Who wants to be involved? Who wants to dedicate themselves to the Lord and demonstrate it in this way? And Moody used to often say you can tell a lot more about a man's spirituality by looking in his checkbook than most other places. Again, because we tend to struggle with our selfishness and greediness as human beings. And yet the Word of God tells us to give not because God needs our money. God tells us to give for our sake. God's not trying to raise funds, quite frankly he's trying to raise children by asking us to give unto his work. But were to give willingly, it says they offered willingly. Nobody was pressuring them. This was a willing choice. When you come to the New Testament and the teachings of the New Testament regarding giving, you always see that same pattern. Second Corinthians chapter nine says, "He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly; he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully." But let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So always having all sufficiency in all things, you may have an abundance for every good work. Again, the Bible says that we're to give willingly, not grudgingly. Oh man, I mean, I just, I, I guess I have to give, or I guess I have to tithe or not a necessity. Oh man, they keep talking about what they need and what they want to do. And man, look, if that's the case, God's not going to reward that anyway because God cares about the heart attitude. God doesn't care about the amount. God cares about the attitude of our heart. We know that from Jesus looking at the widow who gave her two mites at the temple treasury and she gave two little half pennies worth and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else who came in and gave donations today because it was relative to what she had. And, and what it cost her and so therefore it was an act of worship it was given unto the Lord in worship and that's how our giving is to be that we purpose in our heart Lord I don't do this because I have to out of necessity or grudging or I feel obligated if that's where we're at in our heart still then we're not in a place of maturity where we understand why we're supposed to give to the Lord yet or to his works it's, a, it's another way of us to worship the Lord we give unto his work because it's for God we want to honor him and we recognize the Lord every David's going to say everything comes from you And so therefore, Lord, as an act of faith and trust, a portion of that, we want to participate in worshiping you and people coming to know you and you being honored. So therefore, Lord, we want to participate. We're offering, just like we offer our songs and prayers and praises and everything else, and the people here giving financially with that willingness of their heart, offering willingly. That should always be the pattern when we give unto the Lord, our tithes, our offerings, however we purpose in our heart to give. To the Lord. Therefore, verse 10 David blessed the Lord and all the assembly, and he said in light of these things, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Look what he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Lord, you, you own everything anyway. What are we really giving to you, David says, but what belongs to you? Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches, he says, verse 12, and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, he says. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Notice David understands, God, you're the source of everything. (laughs) He says, Lord, we wouldn't even have food on our table if it wasn't for you. Lord, we wouldn't have any ounce of prosperity or riches or honor, he says, or strength or position. He says, Lord, riches and honor, they come from you. Boy, let us always remember that. Deuteronomy 8 says that God himself is the one who gives us power to create and generate wealth. Let us always remember that. The opportunity to work a job, the wisdom to you know, manage our money well. God gives the power to create and generate wealth whether it's someone who becomes wealthy or just somebody who creates enough wealth to just sustain themselves. And he says here, Lord, riches come from you. Honor it comes from you. He says, if somebody becomes great, it's because you make them become great. If somebody has strength to get up and go to their job, it's because you give them the strength to do that. Now, therefore, verse 13, he says, Our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people, he says, that we should be able... That we have the opportunity, he says, and the ability to offer so willingly as this. Again, verse 14, take note. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. See, that's the right perspective. Lord, all we're really doing is giving back to you what's already yours. Again, if God already owns and possesses all things and it's rightfully his... You know, to some degree, all we're really doing is managing what's the Lord's and in a proper way to honor God, saying, Lord, we just get the privilege of this experience to worship you in this way whereby we say, God, rather than be a selfish, greedy person or a person who's a control freak and has no faith that you can take care of me if I don't have this much of a stockpile in my bank account, Lord, no. You give all, everything belongs to you. The same God who gave me some can give me more, and so therefore we get to give unto you some back of what belongs to you. And that's what giving's about. It's an act of worship, an act of trust towards God. He says, Lord, all things come from you, and of your own we have given back to you. That's really what we're doing is we honor God with our wealth and act of worship and supporting God's work and ministries and missionaries and these kind of things. Verse 15, here's a right perspective if you struggle with materialism. He says, for we are aliens and pilgrims. That is, we don't belong here. We're foreigners. We're just passing through on this earth, pilgrims. As were all our fathers, our days on earth is our shadow and without hope. Lord, we're just here temporarily. So help us not to get too attached. And because our hearts can at times become too attached, that's where we struggle. And we think our resources need to be spent on other things to a a much greater degree than they are upon the things of God. And so David says, look, we're, we're just passing through. We don't belong here and that's what helps us have this perspective to want to worship you and to supply to what you're doing, God, your work. Again, Matthew chapter 6 speaks of these kind of things, you know, about where our treasure is, our heart will be. It just, it's just sensible, he says, to live this way. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house, verse 16, for your holy name is, again, from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, That you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly, there it is again, offered all these things now with joy. I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. And see, when you offer willingly, then it's an act of joy. Lord, it's a pleasure to get to do this, to, to honor you, to participate in what you're doing. And I'll tell you, folks, listen, you know, please do not negate this lesson in your spiritual life. Do not negate this lesson. This is such a valuable lesson. Again, When the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, that promise is in context of Paul talking about that the Philippians were faithful givers financially to God's work. And Paul says to those who do that, and don't you worry, my God will supply all of your need According to his glorious riches, because you've supplied of your financial resources in worship and participating in God's work, he says, don't you worry, my God will take care of you. And I tell you this, I've been walking with Jesus since 1992, and and, and I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor, I'm telling you this because I'm a Christian, I have seen this principle play itself out in my life personally through our marital life with our ties with our offerings being you know uh, just faithful givers unto the Lord and many of you know this reality as well and it's amazing God takes care of you he takes care of you he honors you he's never going to you know allow you to outgive him God will always come through and it's a joy to be able to experience that well let's finish up our section here oh lord god he says of abraham isaac and israel keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the hearts of these people and fix their heart toward you he says lord keep this desire in their hearts fix their hearts to lock in on wanting to honor you in this way and give my son solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and testimonies and statutes to do all these things to build the temple for which i have made provision And then David said to the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. And they made sacrifices to the Lord and burnt offerings to the Lord on the next day. A thousand bulls and a thousand rams and a thousand lambs. This was a serious July 4th barbecue there. You probably could smell that all the way up to Syria. It was quite a barbecue going on. So they ate and drank before the Lord, verse 22, with great gladness. And they made Solomon, the son of David, king the second time. That is, they, again, coronated him. Again, because this is the time Adonijah, the other son, was trying to steal away the throne. So they anointed him that day publicly. And Zadok, the priest, and Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David, his father, and prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And the leaders and the mighty men and also the sons of David submitted themselves to King Solomon. Again, uh, though there was a a time when Adonijah tried to lead a rebellion and cause a coup among the people, when they got things straight and they got Solomon, God's selected anointed king on the throne, then people's hearts came into alignment. They obeyed him. They submitted. And you know, when you have the right king on the throne, people's hearts are right. You got the wrong king on the throne, things get messy. And the same is true in our lives. And so the people, their hearts became submitted to King Solomon because they sensed God's hand was upon him. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. And we'll see that as we go into 2 Chronicles in great detail. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel, And the period that he reigned over Israel is 40 years. Seven years in Hebron he reigned, and then 33 remaining years from Jerusalem. He died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now, the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they're written in the book of Samuel the seer, and we have that, first and second Samuel. In the books of Nathan the prophet and the book of Gad the seer, notice those are books. I didn't make it into the canon of Scripture. So we see that there were other records, but only some the Spirit chose to retain and inspired to be kept in the canon of Scripture with all his reign and might and the events that happened to him and to all Israel and all the kingdoms of the lands and all God's people said, Amen.